Hello and bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonioan, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we are have a special pup theology with our good friend Justin Hill with the Alamo Hour podcast. Welcome, Justin. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So if you're confused what this is going on, uh, Justin Hill runs a podcast called the Alamo Hour. It's a destination podcast for those who want to take an in-depth look at different people, places, events, and happenings in San Antonio, Texas. He's a local attorney, and this podcast is going to dive deep into the city that we all love so much, and he hosts that about every week. Uh, and he can you can listen to his podcast on YouTube or various podcast channels like Apple and uh, SoundCloud and all those things. And Justin is a graduate of Texas A&M University, graduated in 2004. We just learned that we're the same age. And so we have merged platforms today. Uh, so the Alamo Hour and Pup Theology are the same, uh, the same broadcast. So welcome, Justin. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. And since we're kind of co-host, I will introduce yeah. you. Uh, Gavin's a associate minister at Travis Park Church. Uh, to me, I always like to have people on that I think a little bit more about than the resume. And to me, you've always sort of run a really good um, live as you speak way of life with all of your social justice stuff. And I mean, I look up to you in terms of, of you put your money where your mouth is, but really your time where your heart is. And I, I appreciate that. And I think you do so much for people. Yeah. Uh, but you're also the host of Pub Theology. Uh, Pub Theology is a dialogue group that usually meets at the friendly spot. But because of COVID, we're meeting online. Uh, you talk about faith, the community in San Antonio, creating common good. And I love the slogan, different brews and different views. All perspectives welcome. Yeah. So, what are you drinking today? Uh, what are you drinking today, Justin? <sighs> Well, I've got a sparkling water from Kirkland, but I also have a, a St. Arnold's Art Car IPA. Good Texas beer. I have right now. I've never had this one. The Free Tail Bat Out of Hell's. So, uh, you know, they were a pup theology theme. So there's a hell theme there, but it has a San Antonio scene there. So, uh, well, I had Ian from Dorchel on and I drank other people's beer the whole time. And, and he seemed offended, but he didn't bring me any beer to drink. So I didn't. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's fair. Hey, it's good. Yeah. No, I really respect you, Justin. You, you've you been uh, serving in around town at various uh, events and uh, been supporting political candidates. You are involved in everything I know about. You're also good friends with my good friend, Phil Watkins, uh, who goes to our church and uh, great local attorneys in town. And uh, the stuff that you promote, uh, is, it always connects with me and I think a lot of the people who listen to Pup Theology and probably the Alamo Hour. And he start, you started this Alamo Hour maybe – uh, at the start of 2020. So at the start of the shutdown, I'd yeah. always wanted to do it. And all of a sudden I had time on my hands. So I was able to do it. I had started buying the equipment troubleshooting, but then once the shutdown happened, I didn't have an excuse anymore. Wow. That's great. And wh who's been your favorite guest so far? Oh. You've now I've had maybe like 20 of maybe 15, 20 episodes. This is 25. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's great. Yeah. You know, it's, I like the meaty, dense stuff. So I've had some really interesting, I mean, these epidemiologists, including Dr. Rora Allegrini from here in San Antonio, uh, Dr. Lesh is a Syrian expert. I mean, some of those things have been really interesting. A surprise one is I had a guy who was the Texas League Commissioner of Baseball for 20-something years and wrote books on it. And I thought it was wow. dry and boring. And really, it was just super interesting to hear the story of Texas League AA baseball. So I've had some really great storytellers and 
you know, I walk away from him and feel one way, but then I get a whole bunch of people responding about what they think about him. So it's just been fun. It's been fun to get to know new people and kind of share their stories. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that uh, as you listen today, if you're listening through the Pub Theology uh, live Facebook stream, which is the, I know we, we share this with different watch parties and different groups, but if you're watching it on our uh, Pub Theology live page, uh, you can post comments and we will see those. Justin and I will see those and we'll answer any of your questions. Justin believes that any topic is up for discussion. So do we at Pup Theology. We talk about everything. That's why it's different views and different brews. Um, and you can go to its, uh, his website, thealamohour.com, to learn more about all the different podcasts that he has had, 25, including Mayor Ron Nirenberg and great doctors during COVID. Uh, go to there. And if you can always follow us at Pup Theology SA. Our Facebook page or YouTube channel. You know, he's been going online for 25 episodes. I think we started right after the pandemic and we never have been online. We've always promoted our events live at the friendly spot. Uh, but I think we live in a new world now, right? We live in a new world where all this is going to become a new reality for, for years to come. So it's a new deal. And I mean, you know, it's funny. We, I start a podcast and you're doing a podcast about San Antonio essentially with this. And I sort of joke that if this was in any other city, I would be way behind the curve. But San Antonio, you know, we're slow to adopt technology and new things. And so, sure. you know, we're both, you know, at the forefront of this, which, you know, good for us. No, that's great. And I really enjoyed your episodes. I, I, uh, I did listen to the COVID doctor recently, uh, the epidemiologist, I believe, right? Yeah. Dr. Slutkin's been advising with uh, governors and mayors, including Ron Nuremberg. And sure. he's a million things you could talk about with that guy, but he was really interesting and very gracious to agree to do my, you know, lowly little podcast. That's great. So all I right. want to start with you, Gavin. So I do this on all of, uh, do it. see Phil reaching out. So I do this on all of my podcasts since this is joined, I'm going to go through at least my general top 10. Um, you know, this is supposed to be kind of short and pithy. So when and why did you move to San Antonio? I moved to San Antonio after I graduated uh, grad school. So I think we probably went, did you go to law school right after A&M? Like, did you right. jump right into it? So yeah, so three-year degrees. So I graduated uh, at Duke Divinity School after I went to Baylor. And I had a few jobs um, lined up after, you know, at various churches. One in Houston, I remember one was in Tyler, Texas, and one was in San Antonio. And um, my sister have, still lives in San Antonio. She she. After graduating from AM, she became a teacher and a principal here. And so it was like, oh, my sister's here. I thought it was a great uh, city to live in that I hadn't really experienced much, I mean, other than vacations. And it felt like a different story I could create than moving back to Houston, where I'm from, or the Woodlands, or I didn't really want to go to Tyler, Texas. So I landed in San Antonio. My first church was University Methodist Church on, okay. on Days of Allah Road. But Tyler is beautiful. I have a camera. Beautiful. Yeah, it's great. I'm surprised how pretty it is. I didn't want to probably move there as a 26, 7, 8. I don't, can't remember how old I was, you know, year old to. I don't so. blame you. <laughs> so so yeah. I, I think we met through Jody Newman, who's been on, I'm sure, your show, my show. Um, and I met her when she was first Queen Anchovy. So next question, what was your favorite Corneation character that you played? Oh, um, well, I played only three. Okay. Uh, and and two of them have been the same. I played Ozzy Osbourne in two of those. Uh, and the first time we played Ozzy, obviously, I didn't really want to play Ozzy the third time, but it was just the skit, Lynn, Lynn that it just ha we had to do it. But um, the first time I played Ozzy probably got the the most rousing laughter uh, when we made fun of the uh, downtown Lou that was put in by Roberto Trevino. And, and Jody and I wrote that skit uh, okay. along with Leah Denham. And, uh, uh, you know, like we just... 
had a blast with that. I think the next character was the Confederate statue that was removed. So I had to play a Confederate soldier. So that, yeah. that was fun in a way, but I, Ozzy Osbourne for sure. I was wondering how Ozzy's still relevant. Um, you know, my next question you already answered, which was what beer were you drinking? We talked about, this is the only one I gave you the heads up on. I was going to be asking you is, uh, what are your favorite hidden gems in the city? And you said a restaurant, so I want to know restaurant, but also sort of non-restaurant location or thing in the city. Ooh, good. Uh, my favorite restaurant is Maria Cafe, uh, kind of south of Southtown on, I think it's Nagalitos, I believe that. I love that place. The family-run restaurant there is a blast. I mean, you can get brisket nachos and you can, really can make anything you want there. I think they have a name for everything. So if Justin, if you order something different, they'll make it the Justin Hill enchilada special, you know? So okay. I, I love that. I love that. I love Maria's. Do you have a dish named after you? I don't. I know John Barrera does. Uh, if, if he's part of our coordination group too, but, uh, yeah, like, uh, there, but I just love the the family that works there and, and runs that operation. So the first time I really hung out with John other than met meeting him was watching Obama's first inauguration speech in 2008. I mean, that that's my history with John Barrera. Okay. Yeah. That's um, coordination. So, and through Jody as well. So I, you know, I, by the way, we, we really want to support the friendly spot. It's back open. Uh, and social distancing. So we really want to support that. Please support locals, support uh, places like the Friendly Spot and all things around San Antonio that, that are open during this COVID uh, crisis. Favorite hidden gem that's not a restaurant or bar? Ooh, this is going to be a tough one. Um, my favorite hidden gem is probably um, the trail that's right behind King William that, that crosses uh, into Blue Star and it kind of you cross the yeah. river on those rocks. I love that walk. And I love walking around that part of the mission reach and down into, obviously now you can always go all the way down, but I've always really cherished that one strip, especially when it was more not known. It's, it's, it's known now, but, um, you know, 10 years ago when I lived, uh, by Brackenridge high school, I, I loved that spot. I've never done it. And you drive by and you see it and it's got the little weird curve carve out there and I've still never done it. Yeah, so it's like, you know, there's Alamo Street, then you go toward the missions just by probably 200 yards, and you can crawl down some stairs off a of Blue Star, and you cross the river on some stones, and you get into the King William neighborhood. It's like a back way to get into King William. I, okay. I love that little area. I'm going to do it. Uh, yeah. You meet with a bunch of leaders. You talk about a lot of social justice issues day to day. What do you think the biggest issue facing the city is right now outside of COVID? Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, so that's good. We don't have to talk about COVID. We've talked about COVID so much. Um I mean, I, I, I only speak to certain leaders about certain topics, right? I don't speak to everyone about everything. And mainly, uh, I think generational poverty is probably the number one thing. You know, the, the report that came out that said San Antonio does not do very well. Like we're like the top on the list, right? Depending on what list you look at. Yeah, the most stratified financially or economically of all major cities, right? That's right. And I think that the way we need to tackle that uh, is difficult. And uh, especially when it comes to issues of race and redlining in the past and uh, the, the kind of the skeletons in the closet there that really keep us from moving forward. I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. We're people of privilege, uh, even in this gentrification movement. And I'm learning where I'm at fault. And I think that we just have to have honest conversations about that and really how to work with the homeless situation in downtown, too. Obviously, that's something that I'm passionate about. But I think uh, homelessness is part of that discussion of the overall poverty in San Antonio. So I always talk to people about what they're passionate about. That's sort of what got me going on the Alamo Hour. Sure. And I had to sort of 
check myself on what really I'm passionate about. Homelessness has always been one of those things since I was a little kid. So that's one of the questions I had for you. You're really involved with Corazon Ministries. What is the best way the average person like myself who is not, you know, embedded with the ministries or the homelessness outreach, what's the best way they can help? Yeah, I think this is always important. I just actually spoke to the Alamo Heights Rotary Club, right? And I speak to Rotary Club. I'm in the downtown Rotary Club. I've been a member of the downtown Rotary Club uh, for, I think, 12 years now. Which yeah, admit that? I'll, sit at, I'll sit at the table at Rotary still, and they'll be like, so did you just join? I'm like, no, I've been a member for 12 years because <laughs> I think everybody's old there, you know? Like, yeah. um, But uh, when I speak at those places, they always ask the question, what can we do, right? What can we do to serve the homeless? And I think a lot of people want me to respond in a way like, go volunteer at a soup kitchen, go volunteer at Haven for Hope, uh, serve food on a plate. But really that all the requirement of serving food on a plate is a risk turn. Like if your risk can turn and put the mashed potatoes on a plate, like you qualify to volunteer. It's a very low bar. Um, I really want people to start volunteering with the homeless differently. I would actually love, instead of the Rotary Club coming down to volunteer and fold clothes or serve food, I'd want them to actually eat meals with them once a week. Yeah. And and I, and they're like, oh, we don't want to eat food. That's the homeless food. And I'm like, no, it's it, that's cheap. Food is very, very cheap yeah. uh, to cook. And um, having conversations with people to be vulnerable with one another, that's the hard part, right? Okay. And I think those are when relationships can be formed because you start learning what you have in common. You can you can start learning where you can provide opportunities. They can teach you things that you don't know. And I think that's where transformation happened. Homelessness is really about trauma care. And uh, Trinity University's freshman did a study years ago with Edwin Blanton. I don't know if you know him. He's an educator mm -hmm. around town. I think he, I don't know where he is now, maybe Texas A&M San Antonio, but um he led his freshman group to say, talk about trauma care. And they said, there's different levels of trauma care. Haven for Hope would just say level two or three. There's, there's, you know, there's advanced counseling, there's religious groups. Those are kind of advanced levels of trauma care. What San Antonio does poorly on, and a lot of cities do poorly on, is level one trauma care. And that's just interactions between me and you, interactions with anybody that we can treat normal areas of trauma by just conversations, the way we look people in the eyes, if we say their name or not. Um, and I think we need a better understand how to treat level one trauma care, because that's not the responsibility of the doctors. That's not responsibilities of the caseworkers. That's the responsibility of all citizens it's in a community. community. So that makes sense. Being okay. human. Yeah. Being human. Yeah. And I wanted to do that. Do I come down to a, one of the kitchens or a feeding opportunity and just, sure, you could, you could reach out to Corazon Ministries or Travis Park Church, or probably even Haven for Hope and say, I really want to mentor people and they have mentor programs. You know, I got to give a shout out to my favorite nonprofit that works for the homeless. And and, and I'm not going to say Corazon. Uh, it's the SA Hope Center run by Megan Legacy uh, and team. They're on the West side and now they have a downtown location at First Presbyterian Church and they do counseling, job training. They just got a huge grant to house about 80 people in apartments during COVID. Wow. And they really do a holistic look. They don't do the band-aid operations that we often serve and uh, in, in homeless work, they are really trying, they're pushing us to be more holistic in our homeless services and they do a wonderful job. So check them out, uh, SA Hope Center, our San Antonio Hope Center. So, Okay, two more questions, Duke or Baylor? Those are your two alma maters. Yep. Which one? Who do you, who do you pull for? Which one's oh, your- Oh, you know, so I had to, I didn't really have to worry about this too much until Baylor played Duke in the Elite Eight. Mm. Yeah, sometime, you know, the, when Duke won the national championship in 2010, and they played in Houston, and I wore a Baylor shirt in the Sweet 16 game, and I won a Duke short, and then I then they had to play each other. 
and I wore a Duke shirt. I was actually in charge of the basketball committee at Duke that was you could run for. It's kind of like being a yell leader at A&M. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I, I managed the Cameron Crazies uh, for one year. While you were in seminary? Or While I was in seminary, yeah. It was the coolest thing I did in seminary. Yeah. And uh, I met the best friends because all those people in that, in that basketball committee were like chemists, lawyers, doctors, undergrads. <laughs> so um, I had a blast and now my heart bleeds blue. Now, if it comes to football and they played Duke, I'd probably go for sure. I would, I would root for Baylor football. It's been coming up in that too, though. Duke's gotten better, yeah, because the coach. But yeah, they, yeah. We're, people are like, what are y'all talking about? But yeah. Okay, last question. People always ask me, why did you become a lawyer? What brought you to the ministry? Um, I grew up in the Churches of Christ, which is a denomination that uh, Max Licato was a Church of Christ minister. And my both my grandfathers were Church of Christ ministers. Uh, uh, and so both my parents are preacher's kids. And I really loved my granddads. And one of them was very, very progressive, went to Southern Methodist for seminary, which is like totally unusual for a Church of Christ pastor in the 1940s. Um, and so... Um, that influenced my life and I really wanted to, to do what they did. And so what the more progressive pastor died when I was 10. Uh, and then the other one died when I was like 21 and I knew him better. And so when I was growing up, he would allow me to go to his church and like preach and like kind of get into ministry. And that's what, that's how I got led into it. Um, uh, for the, for like kind of my early life. And then when I was at Baylor, I worked uh, for Young Life in Waco, and I was at, at a Conley High School, and I had a student get killed in a drive-by. And that moment is when I realized I wanted to do this uh, the rest of my life and, and kind of do pastoral care. I mean, that's a really good story. Yeah. I, I can't talk about it too much. I, I can focus on my granddads, but that, yeah. that Baylor moment uh, really altered. And it's really the reason why I went to seminary. Young Life people usually don't go to seminary right after, like, so I thought I was just going to be a young life leader, but that got me to push me into do a little bit more studies in the ideas of theology and, and pastoral care. Yeah, that's a big jump from young life to uh, really. To university, yeah. yeah, I got my hiney kicked, let's say, going from like this, you know, very like active Christianity to at Duke where their program is 100 percent academic. They don't they don't care that you went to camps or you said the right thing. Uh, so that had to that, it was, I'm grateful for that because I knew the other stuff I didn't know that other side of things so all right so that's my top 10 i mean you do, you do that every week the top 10 list uh it always changes though i mean obviously i don't ask you know a scientist what brought them to the ministry but i always do a top 10 list there's a few normal but i never tell the people i have a question of you how okay. do you know how, we talked about phil Watkins. he's just commented right here look i'm going to show you how we can do comments here justin good to see you staying active during the quarantine how do you know phil Watkins, the best lawyer in town so, well, I mean, 1A and 1B, obviously, 1B, 1A. Okay. Um, so as a young lawyer working for Michael Watts and his wife was on your show, I always heard about Phil Watkins, uh, kind of legend Phil Watkins in the Dimmit Mavericks of all the county areas of South Texas. And then as I moved you know, through the, the legal profession and got to know more people, I, I became really good friends with his daughter, Beth, who's a justice on the fourth, fourth court. And we worked cases right. together before she went on. And then Phil and I became friends. He, he was very gracious about some of the stuff I did with his daughter in terms of some of the good cases we worked on. He bought me a, a fantastic book that's kind of a compendium of different lawyers talking about good works. And then he started these happy hours of, of local lawyers, which I've made some really good friends out of just those happy hours. So uh, it was a slow, I knew who Phil was before I knew Phil. Yeah, you know, Phil is 
one of my heroes at Travis Park. Uh, Corazon started 20 years ago, 21 years ago now. And it started in various, you know, like programs. They didn't all, they didn't always serve uh, seven meals a day like we do during COVID or even four meals a day or four meals a week. Sorry. Um, uh, they started with a prayer circle and recovery group uh, that meets on Wednesday nights and they serve dinner. And uh, the way it operates now, and I think it's operated almost the entire time of that program with Phil and a great group of volunteers that have been there since the beginning. Uh, if let's say, you know, a lot of churches collect prayer requests, you know, like I'm going to pray for my aunt, I'm going to pray for somebody in the hospital. And they, we collect those at either on Sunday morning at church or throughout the week, and they can call us or write us in. Uh, he cuts up those prayers into different individual prayers and passes it to the homeless. And the homeless uh, clients of ours for Corazon, our guests, are the is the prayer team at Travis Park Church. It's like inverted. It's the opposite of what you think it would be. And Phil is the designer of that. And it it it, it really brings a whole new life and energy to the to our homeless guests that have an opportunity to give back. They're not they're not asking for things. They're actually giving prayers to people they don't even know. Yeah, uh, and Phil is the the best at that, and it taught me a lot about uh, how to appropriately work with uh, people on the streets. So that's not surprising with Phil, and I also hear that Phil is not scared to say what he thinks should be done within the church. No, no, I mean no one is at Travis Park. If you know Travis Park Church, they are not afraid of controversy. Uh, Travis Park Church is 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 a is a radical group. They that you know even in the World War II they were they were hosting a radical group. I, they are. They, uh, I love them. That's, that's why I want to work there. That's why I wanted to work there. Right. So, um, I mean, since the very beginning, they've been doing things, uh, and then in the World War II area, they were allowing people to escape internment camps to sleep at Travis Park, like they did during the migrant, uh, increase just a few, uh, years ago. Uh, so he's a part of that coalition that always stands for what is right and what they believe is right. And even when it's not very popular, um, in the Christian tradition or even the Methodist church or, or, or anything, all the above. So, so we had talked about doing a podcast together and, and really the, the impetus of doing a podcast together was that we have podcasts essentially. So what is, what are you trying to establish with yours and what, what's the story you're kind of, you know, trying to tell with your podcast? Yeah. So this is kind of new for us, right? So at, at, at the friendly spot, when we started, I met Jody, uh, four or five years ago now. And, uh, Four years ago, I came with an idea. I said, hey, I just want to do like a table where we bring in a priest or a rabbi. People can just go around a table at the friendly spot, maybe put some chairs together, and they can do have like pastor on a hot seat, rabbi on a hot seat, and they can just ask questions. And so for a few weeks, that's all pup theology was. And then people started recommending guests like, oh, we should interview uh, a clergy about LGBT issues, or we should interview a clergy that's at Cornerstone, right? Or we should interview. And then it became that. And then all of a sudden, Hey, you know what? We should interview Ron Nierberg because of the vandalization that just happened at the Jewish synagogues. And he spoke up against that. So we brought in Ron to speak about that. I think our fourth time, a fifth time at Pup Theology, Ron was a councilman in District 8. And that started changing all of a sudden the guests we invite. We started inviting Bob Rivard was one of our fifth guests, I think. So he was one of your early guests. Yeah. Um, and then we had uh, educators. And then we started getting co-hosts. Uh, Becca McNeil joined us, who's a reporter around town. She used to work for the Rivard Report. Now she's an editor for Christianity Today and 74 Million, which is an ed educational news agency. Um, and we just started, and she gets guests that I can never get. And we just started meeting at the friendly spot and not being almost like a podcast or like a forum place. Like you can go to PK, you can go to TED Talks and hear somebody talk. 
we were like, what is it? What if we have that same person and you can drink a beer with them and discuss theology or faith or community? And you get to actually have a direct conversation with the mayor. Uh, the first mayor we had was actually Mayor Ivy Taylor uh, when she was mayor in San Antonio. So that, and then really only recently have we gone online. We've, people have been asking us to go online for a long time. We just couldn't figure out how to do it like sound wise with a live bar. And we didn't really want to really do that at the start, but COVID has really forced us to do this. And it's, it's, it's been great. We get thousands of people watching you now instead of maybe a, on a good night, 150 people at the friendly spot. And, and usually or sometimes we just have 40 or 30. And uh, so what, what's been great is I look back on our events. We've had 130 something events since we started um, at the friendly spot. And I think over time we've had over, this is months ago when I looked, so like, like 7,000 people come through the friendly spot to attend. And so if you look at it that way, it was a very interesting way to get people involved in these discussions. And I hope that's what we're really all about, even when we, even when we stay online. So what, what, what got it for you? Platform. Say that again? Shared platform. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what got into it for me was, you know, I mean, San Antonio is a social city, so I don't want to sure. say, you know, I have a problem, but sometimes we go have happy hours with people. And I just started realizing I, I have met some just fascinating people and, you know, I'll tell people like, oh, I met this guy at happy hour and here's his story. And people were really interested in knowing what other people's stories were. And then I think people were interested in knowing what else is in San Antonio. You know, one of my guests is David Lesh, who's a professor at Trinity. I mean, he personally befriended the, you know, the dictator of, of Syria. I'm sure he calls himself a democratically elected president, but you know, I mean, that's a strange story that is in our city. And he was working to negotiate a peace agreement during the Syrian civil war. And he's a Trinity professor. You know, I mean, there's, and that's just one of a bunch of stories. So, um, I think it's fun to hear those people tell their stories. And I wanted to provide a platform in a casual way because nobody's going to probably pick up, pick up his book. That is the compendium of the history of the middle East. But He'll sit here and have a beer and tell me stories. And uh, I wanted to share those kind of stories. So again, if you want to ask questions to Justin or myself about anything San Antonio related, political, religiously, socially, uh, anything about San Antonio or really anything about anything, uh, you can post that question, these questions um, on our Pup Theology live feed. Uh, or uh, and if you don't do that, we probably won't see it. So make sure you post your comments on there. Uh, that's how it works right now with our streaming services. We're all learning how to do this together. So, so Justin, you've been involved in, I would say local government. It's not always politics, right? It's, it's involved com community discussions, leadership. Um, when did you get really involved in that? Like, so you obviously you've been here for about 12 years. What, what, what point did you say, okay, I really want to get really hyper-focused on campaigns or the right people in local government or just connecting people, networking people, uh, where we kind of cross over in that way. But what, what got you involved? What was the first thing that really pulled you in? So, I mean, I've always uh, had a soft spot for politics and all sure. of these issues. I mean, I wrote for the paper at A&M. I was the only, I mean, at A&M, I was a moderate, but for A&M at that time, I was a bleeding heart liberal. And so yeah. I've always been into sort of understanding and trying to provide some sort of moderating factor. Really, honestly, my mom's a social worker. I came from a social worker background with her. People are people. And 
I think our politics are kind of mean. Um, so, you know, when I moved here, San Antonio, you know, met me with such open arms. Um, I didn't know anybody when I moved here. I moved here because Michael Watts gave me a job and told me to move here. And I loved the city. I loved the inclusiveness of the city. The city feels like New Orleans, that weird thing where you can just go out one day to a park or a bar or restaurant and make friends for life. And I wanted to not be somebody that sat on the sidelines. So, you know, I'm involved in ways that affect my industry. I'm an, I'm an attorney, but you know, I think, I think Ron's heart's in the right place in in a lot of ways. And, and, and I want to support people whose hearts are in the right place because I want to raise a family here and be here for a long time. And I don't want to want to be one of those people that's just, you know, moaning on the sidelines. No, that's why I love San Antonio too. I didn't know I was going to like San Antonio. The first three years I was working in the north side. Even though I live in the Cadillac Lofts downtown, I was working on the far north side. And, and you know, and this is even before, like you had to actually go out into like the Stone Oak shopping centers to have fun. I don't remember, I can remember doing those things. But then when the downtown movement started happening maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago, and it really changed the dynamic of these parks and the way we get out and interact, uh, it, it hooked like, it, I, I fell in love with it because it felt like New Orleans. It felt like this larger city, but still small enough to engage. Um, and now when I go to Dallas and Houston or my hometown, Houston, in the Woodlands area, I, I drive there and I'm like, I couldn't, I don't think I can live here. I really love uh, this community. And I, sometimes I can learn how to explain it, but it really is something I think we're both passionate about and why we're probably both involved in trying to make it the best city uh, as best we can. So, Yeah. So then, I, then you sort of think through, you know, my podcast, I really try to avoid politics. I want people to tell their stories. There's a few things that I'll pop up on. I mean, you're friends with me on Facebook. So, I mean, there's plenty of things I care a lot about and I'm passionate about, but I don't want my podcast to be a. a no, I, I see that. Yeah. I mean, I want it to be a forum for discussion. And, I, I, you know, I'll guide that discussion to some extent, but everybody, I want everybody to think through what their thoughts and opinions are and have a reason to say them. And maybe I disagree with what those reasons are, but if they're reasoned, I mean, good for you for having those positions. What What I want to know is sort of, just, I'm going to, you know, I'm always selfish about these things a little bit. How is your backlash from being kind of in terms of your work as a social justice, uh, I'd say warrior almost. I mean, you take on the plight of the poor, the plight of the immigrant, you make it your own, you advocate for it. And yet you're a minister, which has become sort of so aligned with um, conservative politics, unfairly so, but it has, I mean, have you dealt with backlash from that or dealt with people that disagree with you? Obviously, Travis Park is a different kind of church, but you are a, a religious leader. So, I mean, are you do you get some of that backlash? Sure. I you know, it it's it's grown over time, right? I, I you know, right in my early days, I might have been a progressive youth minister, I might have been a progressive pastor within Trinity Baptist where I worked or uh, Christ Episcopal Church which was a very conservative Episcopal Church. Um and I've always kind of enjoyed being that kind of liberal voice. Um, but in the last few years, it's been tough. Uh, Jody Newman knows this. So I'm very close to Jody and she sees my inner belly. She sees my darkest sides and where, you know, we take things personally. And um, the, the last in 2018, the end of 2018 and 2019, during that immigration uh, where I traveled with the migrant caravan. And then right after that, just unconnected, but connected our church hosted 22,000 migrants at our church and we had infowars come in and try to interview us and raid the raid the city offices and um they toured our church and 
all of a sudden, like all of a sudden my phone is blowing up with 3000 messages and I'm like, whoa. And most of them were not kind. Uh, I have never experienced that. And it, it really took it out of me for a while. Like I really had to evaluate, honestly, go to therapy and, uh, learn how to place that appropriately in my life. Cause I never had to deal with it. I mean, it was, you know, standing up for the homeless is, is tough and it's, it's challenging, but it's not necessarily controversial within the worlds I live in conservative or liberal. Um, so the immigration thing really, um, was hard for me and to manage, uh, being a white voice within that. Uh, and I had to learn, uh, when not to talk and allow other people of color to speak, uh, during this journey, uh, where you were all on and, and I still don't get it right. And so I think that's been the toughest thing for me to manage personally, but also just the critiques. I remember one, uh, I think it was sometime during the caravan where a person that we probably, I, if I said it, I'm, I'm in a more San Antonio environment, but she's politically involved and a very faith-based kind of politician. Um, uh, not anybody who has been elected into any major office, but um, she wrote me one time and said, hey, Gavin, uh, the migrants are stealing our stuff. Um, do you believe stealing is wrong? It says in the Bible, right? Thou shalt not steal. And I'm like, and I kind of fed, I used to feed into that stuff. I used to respond to it. Yeah. I learned not to respond to it anymore. I don't even care. But um, so I wrote back, said, yes, it does say thou shalt not steal in the Bible. A few times, actually, the Ten Commandments are mentioned twice in the Bible. And, and she said, well, if somebody steals your coat, are you supposed to give it to them? And I thought she was joking because um, at that point, because that's a direct question Jesus was asked. Actually, I Googled. I, I pop, cop, copied and pasted her question. She asked me verbatim, Googled it. And the first thing on Google was the actual scripture where Jesus is asked, uh, you know, if somebody steals your coat and, and honestly, uh, it says you should not sue them. You should not, you should not uh, just give them a coat, right? Like you, and it says it in different ways in different gospels, but the overall message there is you don't really need to worry about it. It's just a coat. Right. right? So all I did was respond back to that, uh, with the scripture and like, like my Facebook feed exploded. And that's when I realized uh, I couldn't do that anymore. Like I just needed to say, like believe what I believed, share what I believed and not really debate uh, on social media. Um, so I think that was the hardest thing. And I still don't get it right. I still have great friends of mine within liberal circles that remind me uh, of my privilege and my um, uh, things that, that, that can get in the way of some of these really hard conversations. Um, so, it, but when it comes to the church, I'm now I'm kind of okay. Like, I know there's a big divide within progressive and conservative Christianity. Uh, it doesn't surprise me anymore. And uh, I just kind of say, you know, it's freedom of religion and I'm going to stick with the gospel I understand. And that leads me to a more progressive understanding of a community. Um, and so I'm now religiously, I'm okay. It's just when you get involved, involved in politics and I, and I dabbled in that a few years ago, like just getting more involved in local politics, supporting candidates. And, and I realized that can be very tricky as a pastor. So I pulled away a little bit um, when it comes to those things. And so that, I don't want to over speak that, but that's, that's mainly it. So, well, I, I think you, you hit on a good point. If, I mean, if you're using social media, you're always going to be told to check your something. So yeah. no matter what you say, you're always going to be from the people that agree with you and the people that don't agree with you. 
Yeah. I mean, I've just started blocking people on Facebook now. I mean, it's just Facebook I use to scroll through news articles is is what I've decided is the only reason I want to use it. I mean, every so often I will get into the debate, but I shouldn't. Yeah, no, it's it's not very helpful usually. Uh, I don't really remember a time it has been super helpful. So, you yeah. know, but I think it just, I what shocked me more was the amount of hate that came out of people in these things. Uh, even when they try to hate on people they don't understand or they feel like they're, not you know it that's what really wears me down and uh, i so we just have to look at it differently and surround us up with good people like jody really um helped me see uh things differently when those when those comments come up and uh my friends were kind of like my pastors during that that time so. well i, I yeah I, i've been to pub, pub theology a few times and and I've always sort of appreciated the idea that because that's how my take has always been on it. Like this should be a very inclusive discussion all the time. I mean, the the, the mixture of the politics and the, and the faith has really, I think, led to a bunch of division among people and probably families that isn't well deserved. No, I don't think religion is because you be very complex. I think it's a very personal thing for a lot of people. Obviously, that's why we have different denominations and spiritualities and ways to do things and non-believers and agnostics and atheists and um, but it shouldn't be complicated too hard. Uh, loving somebody, learning how to serve other people, uh, and see each other, see he- the common humanity with one and uh, all of us is actually very simple. And I think that simplicity is actually what gets people upset. Uh, they can't believe it's that easy. It can't be that simple. Grace can't be that easy. Um, and then there's some complex things, right, in theology, but. In the end, uh, love is what really wins out, and I think it's always gotten in people trouble. Anybody in history that has championed this has gotten themselves in trouble. So um, it's nothing new, but it was new for me at the time. So you got a question? I do. Um, And I, the one thing I don't, you know, one thing we don't talk about in pub theology often is is law stuff. You know, I don't think (laughs) we've done education. We've done We've done all this stuff. We've we've done authors and you know scientists and and you know I the list can go on. Reporters and um, nonprofit leaders. I don't know if we've had a lawyer. Probably because we're boring. We did have a lawyer. We did have Shannon De- uh, Cedric Davis, who was a lawyer who wrote the book uh, "To Catch a Warlord," and she uses that angle. Uh, but we haven't really talked about uh, like you're a personal injury lawyer. I believe that's that's your that's. Is that, is that it? Yeah. So, okay. This is my question. Okay. This is the only ads I see on billboards. Sure. Right? So it, what is it like to be a personally injured lawyer in a town where there's so many famous personalities within your, within your field? I mean, misunderstood. So what is the biggest misunderstanding about personal injury lawyers? So, I mean, I think the misunderstanding is well-deserved due to some people in our industry. I mean, you know, look at Thomas J. Henry's TV. He created a TV show for his own family. Sure. That includes his jets and his planes and all of those things. On the backside of him making that money were thousands of people who got compensation for probably in those cases, um, a lot of drugs that caused bad injuries to people. So people, especially children, they were prescribed drugs that were supposed to never be prescribed to children and caused certain medical conditions. I think that's probably where he really got off to the races because it's all written about in the Huffington Post. But there are stories behind his 
opulence that aren't being told. And I think that's unfortunate because it trickles down to the idea that plaintiff's lawyers are opulent and, and, you know, over the top and seen maybe. But for me, I think all of that's just a distraction in the reality of um, we do good work for good people and some people make a lot of money. Um, and some people are in it for business reasons and their whole thing is that, pay, you know, clients are widgets. And there's a lot of us that are in it because we enjoy the fight. And I personally really enjoy the fight. I like to represent a normal person against an insurance company or a corporation who's being screwed over. To me, it's, it's, it's motivating to me. Um, but yeah, our industry is maligned and it's probably well-deserved because of things like that. Do you, do you have a number? Do you like, do you have a, do you have a catchphrase? No. No, you need one. You need a catchphrase, Justin. Buddy uh, did the Texas. Where did you grow up in Texas? I grew up on the border of Oklahoma in a town called Burke Burnett. So if you went 281 north until you hit Oklahoma, the last town you would hit would be Burke Burnett. Wow. And so you then you then you went to Texas A&M. Now, did you grow up? Uh, uh, oh, good. We have a question from Christian, uh, Kristen. Um, so earlier when I said, there, do you have a question? I said, there's a question. I meant that, but you. Oh, were I'm sorry. I didn't. I that one pop, pop, just popped up on my screen. So we'll get to that, Kristen. Um, uh, so did you grow up a certain uh, like faith, like a tradition of, of, of like, do you, were your parents a certain? So I had two parents who were forced to go to church every single Sunday, one Catholic, one Southern Baptist. And with us, they were like, you do what you want. So, you know, you grow up in small town, Texas. It means you go and then you don't go. You go to this one, then you don't go. And you kind of dabble in everything. And, uh, you know, I went through all that, all of that stuff in life to where you went to that church because your buddy did. You went to that sure. camp because your friend invited you. And you went with your grandma to this one. Especially um, in the town where you grew up. What's that? Especially in the size of town that you probably grew up oh, in. Right. Yeah, no, that's right. So my parents, you know, weren't really big on it. My grandparents were very big on religion. Um, And so I've sort of, you know, I don't like feeling like I don't know everything in something. So I've read and gotten really involved and and tried to, uh, you know, flesh it out for myself. But in small town Texas, it's not about basically filling in the gaps on intellectual conflict in your brain about that. All right, gotcha. You know, actually, uh, right now, Tammy Watson and I are pr- uh, planning a a prayer event in town. We'll talk about that toward the end of the program. She just called me, so she must have her ears ringing because we've mentioned Tammy and Michael Watts in this program. Kristen, thanks for writing this question. Uh, I'm going to pull it up here, uh, and we'll, we'll ask this to Justin. If you could change or improve one thing about the dynamics and culture of San Antonio, what would it be and why? Thanks, Kristen, for that. Why are you giving me that question? That's a tough question. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll answer it too. You know, um, so I think the most important thing for me to do is learn by listening. Um, as you said, you and I are both in a different boat. We don't deal with some of the issues that other people deal with. I have always felt like education is kind of the backbone to answering some of those issues related to poverty um, in kind of a two different worlds that people live in here. So for me, if I could change anything about the dynamics, the dynamics would be about disparate education opportunities um, throughout the city. I mean, depending on you know what zip code you live in, you're you're stepping into a different situation. Culturally, I mean, I like San Antonio. You know, I could culturally say there should be a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that and a better airport and maybe some more museums. But 
I mean, really, I think at the end of the day, San Antonio's in the right direction. We just need to make sure that our rising, you know, our, our, our rising ship rises everybody. And, and I think that's where we're missing. And I think education's a big part of that. No, that's great. Uh, you know, my, my normal co-host Becca would love that answer. She, she's all about uh, education. So thanks. Uh, Kristen, uh, there's one thing I can improve about the dynamics. I talked a little bit about earlier because Justin asked that question to me in a way. Uh, and I talked about generational poverty and the poverty that we often see uh, throughout San Antonio and the, the, how, what level of rate of poverty that we have in a city compared to in this city compared to other cities. I think that's something that's very uh, needs to be discussed. And I, I don't think we've had policies really address it. We've had campaigns. We've had various discussions about it, all ways that, you know, we've had uh, think tanks and and commissions. And, and, and you know, I don't think we've really addressed uh, the reasons why. Uh, people are in poverty, and that goes back to some of our redlining and uh, the way we place people in San Antonio. And it's uh, something that I think we need to address more and more each and every day. Um, uh, but the the culture of San Antonio, uh, I I wish that Fiesta was more more culturally correct. I I, I feel like uh, Fiesta is great. I love it. I participate in a lot of the events for the fundraisers there. But sometimes when I go and watch those parades and uh, in San Antonio, when it comes to culture, I'm not talking about anything serious here. I, I I think that it'd be nice to see a more true diversity represented in some of the celebrations that we have in, in San Antonio when it comes to like simple cultural things. Uh, I don't know what you meant by culture, but um, I, I took dynamics as more of a uh, improve the dynamics to something very serious like generation poverty. And um, maybe that's what you meant uh, too, but that's, I read the question. So um, Justin, do you see any other questions that are different on your screen? Well, I can't see your screen, but no. Okay, good. Um, you know, uh, both of us, uh, uh, both of us have known Ron Nirenberg, our mayor. He's our current mayor, and probably um, uh, supported him in different ways uh, in his last two campaigns. Uh, what is what drew you to to our mayor? And uh, you know, you have a good relationship with him. What is one like attribute that you saw in him that you really appreciated and said, I can get behind this even when I don't agree with him all the time? Uh, I think Ron is wonky. Like, I think he really cares about kind of the, uh, the minutia of the, the issues that he's dealing with. And I think it's important to know the minutia, especially in local government. I mean, Ron will talk to, you, talk to you about sidewalks and water drainage, and he will be really detailed about it. And I think that's really what you want at the end of the day with a local politician. I mean, we all want to talk about the fight about Chick-fil-A in the airport, but at the end of the day, that doesn't really affect you and I, my, my sidewalks do. And so I think knowing how wonky he was about that, just through general conversations, I thought that's, that's going to be a good guy to run the city because those are the things that really affect us day to day um, in a city from our city government. You want a local city geek is what you want. I mean, yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that Chick-fil-A, you know, speaking, not like we've ever talked about it too much at Pup Theology, uh, but when you see issues like that arise up, right? How do you interpret that? When you see an issue like that invade our, our local government and even our, and it even influence our state government with so many anti laws against what we were doing and what, how do you interpret that? How do you navigate that, uh, in your world? I kind of don't. I mean, honestly, it's the red meat stuff to get a whole bunch of people worked up. It's chum in the waters. Sure. You know, it doesn't, it, it's really not a big relevant discussion in my mind because 
whether we have a Chick-fil-A in the airport at the end of the day isn't going to affect whether or not, you know, I've got roads that are drivable. The schools have, you know, air conditioning that works. I mean, those are just the issues that actually matter to us day to day. But, you know, you can go back to George W. Bush's second election when they decided to put gay marriage amendments on on a, on ballots all across America, and they say that really secured his second win. Those things get people worked up, but sure. those things aren't the things that affect you and I. Sure, at least most of us. Yeah. yeah. One, um, uh, hey, please, you know what? We're going to ask that question. We have a few listeners live right now, and if you could change one thing in San Antonio, dynamic or culturally, you can you can post that comment. You can always have to ask us questions if you have a comment. And even if you're watching this video uh, after we're live and you're watching this days later or hours later, uh, you can answer, you can answer, you post, please post your comments of where you think that San Antonio could improve and uh, be a better city, either with its dynamics or, or cultural implications. Um, got any more questions, Justin? Well, I mean, I was just, I like this format. I've never done this to have like a live streaming and people respond and all that type of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's different every week. Like, I'm getting used to it. Um, you know, I'm also never, I'm never the, this is, I'm never the person answering the questions too. It's only happened once in, in pup theology where they interviewed me about the caravan. I, all the other times I've been the, the dork asking the questions. So, so I, I always end my shows with guest wish lists. I want to know who sort of your wish list would include who you could get on the show. Mine's always pop. Pop's always number one. Yeah, That's my, that's for sure. I told, I said, I said I would quit pup theology. I would end it. Right. And especially so I, I will try to say um, Coach Pop, uh, when he hosted Cornell West, I don't remember this. Cor Cornell West is a black theologian. Um, uh, he's also he's the he's also like he's 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 very uh, big liberal. Um, uh, you can he, he, he has great books about race. Uh, he's a theologian, liberal uh, kind of um, liberation theologist. He he he. Um, he interviewed Pop, and Pop interviewed him at a high school here in in San Antonio, like a few years ago. Is that true? It is. I've never heard of that. That is like that is like my dream. Like <laughs> theology meets Coach Pop, and imagine the conversations they had. It was closed to the public. It was only open for this one school. Um, that would be like getting Coach Pop to talk about social issues and religion, uh, which he knows about. I think he knows more than we, you know, than he gives away. Even though he's a pretty outspoken guy. Uh, that would be my dream. I feel like I feel like we could get really deep with him in pub theology about theology or philosophy, uh, because I mean he, I've never even got to meet Cornell West, and and he 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 got to interview a black theologian that's uh, it's one of my favorite theologians in in all time, and I that was my dream. If I could get those guys back in San Antonio, I would I would quit the show. So Cornell West really is he that respected as a theologian? Because I know him because of politics. I mean, he's always sure. a very he's in trouble big. there, just like we all do. Like all theology pastors, Christians, they get in trouble when they dive too much. And he probably is controversial in his political uh, um, way. But as a professor, what he teaches, he's a very outstanding professor in his field. So, all right, who else is on the wish list? I always do three at the end of every show. It started it changes. You know, I I sometimes you know. My favorite, I, I'll tell you this, my favorite guest uh, was um, Simron uh, from Trinity University. He's a Sikh theologian. Uh, Simron, you, do, you, do, you know, do you know him? He, it, he has a brother named Darsh who also played basketball at Trinity. He was, I think, the very first Sikh collegiate basketball player. Um, 
but he he speaks about uh, misidentity and religion, especially uh, Islamic phobia, because a lot of people think that um, Sikhs are Muslims. Sikhs are Muslims, yeah. And um, that was when I realized what people really wanted out of pub theology. Uh, we invited him, and over a hundred people came really early on to pub theology in the back room of the friendly spot. And that's when I thought, oh man, this is what people really want. You know, sometimes when I bring in people who I think are going to be good, maybe like even if I bring Ron back or if I bring a, a councilman person back, sometimes the room is empty because people are expecting to hear what they want to hear, right? Um, it's those discussions I think that really people want. So I already try, I already think that way. I think, can I get somebody um, in the community? A lot of people don't understand, but they want to understand. A lot of people don't know about Sikh identity and seek uh, theology and what it's like. So I think a lot of people genuinely came to hear Simran. And uh, I, I, I think a guest like that, um, you know, when it comes to a political guest, I would love to interview Cheryl Scully. Uh, that would, especially with her book coming up, that has to be on uh, your list somehow. But uh, politically, that'd be like that locally, just for fun, San Antonio geeks like us. Um, uh, but I think when I, it's guests like Simron that I, that I have, and I think that's why I answered coach pop in Cornell West, but, um, you know, there's other leaders that I, I haven't gotten to speak with. Um, and, uh, um, Charles, Butt. Charles, Butt would be great. Yeah. The, well, the, Butt family in general is the HEB foundation and how that all interacts. That'd be, that'd be a great conversation. What's, what's, what's your favorite? What's your, what's your, what's your other than coach pop? Opso is number one. Uh, Charles Butt is has made his way into the top three. I'm sure he's very okay. by this. You know, I'll share a Charles Butt story. I, I love San Antonio because how accessible it is. So um, I went to a fundraiser at his house for a polit politician out of Corpus Christi. This had to be 10 years ago now. Juan Rodriguez, maybe. And he was a big public education advocate. And so it was a public education Charles Butts politics are public education and he will give money to that. Doesn't care what po uh, political party you are. So I'm there and I'm walking around his house in King William and it's a weird like time capsule of, I, I don't know how to describe it. They're old like tube TVs that probably don't work, but they're like, they're kind of just, I don't know for props. And so he walks up to me and he's like, uh, would you like a tour of my house? And I was like, of course. <laughs> so, Charles Butt takes me all around his house, upstairs, downstairs, and then he takes me down like a basement deal. But you like walk down like a couple stairs and then off to the sides, this big wine room. And then you go down a few more stairs and there's a super long hallway that's almost like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It's, it's neon, it's a, uh, you know, UV lights, whatever those tube lights are called. What are they called? Yeah. You know, those, those long tube lights and it's white walls and it's white floors. Fluorescent lights. Yeah, those. Yeah. And so you walk down this long hallway and you come up and you're in this time capsule of a weight room from 1970. It's Nautilus equipment, chrome, it's shiny as can be. It looks like it's never been used. And all these pictures of bodybuilders around the wall. And it was just a very strange experience. And I remember him telling me that everybody thought he had a tunnel that went into HEB, but he doesn't. Yeah, but he was such a nice man. No, that's great. I, I, I have always wanted to interview Henry Najem. Uh, uh, he, he gives a lot of money to great organizations. He's, he's, he's been single, I believe his whole life, if I might be mistaken, but, uh, I just think it's a fascinating, uh, guy and, uh, cares deeply, uh, about certain topics, especially, uh, children in San Antonio, uh, that are in poverty. He's been a big contributor to Sam ministries and 
and and just projects around. I would love to interview him and just his heart. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of people may know him in certain circles, but what a big person in our community that does so much good that a lot of people don't know about. That'd be somebody locally that I would really like. And then there's people nationally that, of course, I would interview. Like, I would love to interview Jimmy Carter or like Desmond Tutu. Uh, but those, they, they're not coming to Pup Theology San Antonio. So uh, I'll let that off the wish list. So Jimmy Carter might. He might do it online. Yeah, I would have to have Shannon Davis come help me. She's that lawyer. She's on the board of elders with him. There's like 13 people in this group around the world with like Desmond Tutu. And she's one of them uh, in the advisory group there. And they're like world leaders that just tackle huge issues. Uh, huh. So um, I think she was probably one of our best guests. You know, I'm going to do a thing because I kind of regret not recording some of these great conversations with Simron and Shannon Davis. Uh, I'm going to go back and do like a remix where we're going to invite them back when we were doing during COVID and just like rehab the conversation. So a lot of people can hear what the kind of the cool ones we've done in puppyology in the past. Yeah. So I, mean, I forget too. I forgot to record this. So you're going to have to send me the audio. Oh, you did. You forgot that the button, we even talked about it. No. That's funny. Um, you know, so what do you see, what do you see coming up here? What do you think are some of the local issues that are going to matter? Um, and this doesn't have to be politically a question. This is not a, maybe, uh, like coming up in the next few years in San Antonio, what are some of the things that you think are gonna are gonna creep up um, uh, and be a big deal for people in local uh, involvement? So I think how we come out of this is going to be a big deal. I think you know Ron talked about how this is an opportunity, and I think there's a lot of discussion about how he is making an it an opportunity to sort of change the dynamics of the city. Um, including education and workforce retraining. Um, I think that's going to be a big deal. I think the city's going to have to take a hard look at itself being a hospitality industry when things like this happen. I mean, we're very vulnerable. Um, I think the access to technology um, and internet, I think that's going to be really highlighted by what we're going through now. In the long term, I think things like charter schools are going to have to become an issue at some point. I mean, we've we've created this very... Um, very real two-tier system in San Antonio, more so than maybe any city in, in Texas, uh, where charter schools have such influence. I mean, you have charter school advocates that are part of the nonprofits running for school boards. Sure. So, I mean, it, that's a really strange thing. And, I, you know, my both of my parents were public school teachers, so to me that matters a lot. That'd yeah. be a great person to interview, the, the leader of uh, SA Charter Moms, which is a national kind of like Facebook group uh, she's here in San Antonio. If you know Inga, and that's a great. I know, but somebody reached out to me two weeks ago on my uh, Alamo Hour stuff and said I should interview her because obviously I have thoughts on charter schools. And yeah, that'll be a great. She would love to have it with you. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I have no interest in getting in a fight with somebody about that. I know she's got a very, <laughs> you know, she's got a personal story, and who am I to tell her her personal story is wrong? And. Charter schools serve a now purpose for a lot of people, but do they serve the long-term purpose for the city and our public education as a state? And that's a different conversation than did they provide my child a better school, you know, when they were five years old than the alternatives. So, I mean, there's, you know, those are two different conversations, but they both need to be had, I think, over the long-term for our city. Wow. Uh, you know, that I think that, you know, you would have a, I don't think she would get in debate with you. I think she would just talk to you. I, I had her on uh, Becca McNeil. It was one of the first times we had Becca McNeil as my co-host uh, and she interviewed uh, Inga and their, their friends in the educational world. Uh, also like somebody like um, um, Mark Larson uh, from Kip, you know, formerly of Kip Academy, 
He used to be uh, the CEO of Kip Academy San Antonio. He just went to, then he went to a citywide initiative, sometimes not profit. He just left that. So there's some great people I think that could discuss it without a debate or trying to like, you know, argue a certain cause. Politically, I find it fascinating how charter schools have managed to become a darling of the progressive millennials as well, which is sort of a strange, like, uh, no, it is. Bedfellows. And I've asked people about it and I've had some friends that were, you know, progressives, millennials who were into that world. And even they sort of had a hard time explaining sort of the, the relationship. I mean, just politically, it's a strange set of bedfellows. I think that's interesting. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I think it's an interesting set of bedfellows. All right. So um, if you still want to ask a question, we have a few minutes left, I think, more or less. Uh, you can ask a question to us. Um, uh, and I, there's a few people listening. There's actually a little couple more. So please, somebody be bold enough to ask a question to kind of close out our question and answer session. But uh, until we get that, uh, I believe somebody listening right now will be bold enough to ask a question. So either Phil or Helen or Lindsay, uh, try to ask a good question. Um, during COVID-19, what has been your favorite? So you talk about hidden gems in San Antonio. In COVID, uh, trying to get out uh, and safely get out, what has been the favorite? One thing that unexpectedly you've enjoyed about San Antonio during COVID-19. Well, I had a child during COVID-19. So that, okay. that COVID, well, they, there's a name for it. Is well, it COVID baby or something? So it was born during COVID. Yeah, you didn't have it during that's a that's a different name. <laughs> that's a different thing. So that's been sort of its own set of facts, which honestly has allowed me to be in town more, which has been fantastic. Um, you know, outside of that very personal story we really just went kind of nuts a little bit on like food delivery and like all of these random things that popped up to serve people who did not want to go out. We had, we had boxes of fruit being delivered one week and vegetables the next week and Szechuan house now delivers up to 20 miles. So that's been awesome. So we kind of went a little over the overboard on that. And then we also set up my yard into a, we don't have to leave. So we have tether ball and disc golf and horseshoes Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, we, we, we had to create an environment where we can stay home uh, because Lindsay is horrified of getting coronavirus. Yeah. I get you. I, I, uh, you know, you, you spoke about the Shishuan house. Uh, they do. So uh, they do deliver uh, at a wider range. Now that's kind of, it's they're kind of on Ingram road ish and 410. Um, but they're one of the three restaurants that support Core Zone Ministries, so we can provide seven meal day, uh, seven meals a week uh, uh, during COVID nineteen for our homeless guests on the streets in downtown San Antonio. So our our ministry cooks four times, more or less four times a week, and then we have restaurants support that. It's farm to table uh, in downtown San Antonio. They uh, cook a meal for us. Shishuan House uh, cooks a meal, and Chick fil A cooks a meal, uh, and they deliver. That so we have a wide range of, uh, of of restaurants supporting, but I'm very grateful to the the food that should the, the actually it might be it might be the favorite meal of the week uh, when Shishuan House cooks uh, the protein and the pasta and the rice um, for our guests and they've done it faithfully. I think they've already crossed thousands of meals that they've cooked for us um, during this pandemic, and that's just locally downtown. So I'm grateful. Makes I'm me grateful here to be spending my money with them. Yeah, so for sure, support them just for multiple reasons. Yeah. But I, I really appreciate uh, Kristen and uh, her team at the at the Sichuan House. Um, any other last closing thoughts? If we don't get a question, we don't get a question. But of uh, uh, any lasting thoughts uh, in this conversation, Justin? 
Well, I mean, I always end mine with, uh, you know, my wish list. So I've already got pop and I've got Charles Butt and I always do three, maybe five. Uh, also, I want to do Patty Mills and Lonnie Walker because it's great. The whole Spurs. You want this? You want to interview every Spur? No. Well, probably. But you also, they're they're oddly involved in our community. Which, they are. Patty Mills is, is still lives here in downtown San Antonio. And Lonnie Walker's out cleaning up, you know, graffiti. I mean, it's rare to see professional athletes get that involved in the towns in which they live because so often they're sort of, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here type deal. Um, so they're always on the deal. And I think Patty, you know, Patty Mills just gave a bunch of money to one of the women's shelters, I believe. And so he's always on it. And then Jackie Earl Haley, because he's here and he's fantastic as uh, Rorschach in uh, the Watchmen. So, you know, That's I, I haven't done a, an actor. I've done Tim Maloney, who is producing a Bravo reality show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, any, do you have any upcoming guests that you would like to, to actually uh, talk about? On the Alamo Hour, do you have anybody lined up? So Nico's supposed to come on. Nico LaHood is supposed to come on. Um, and you say you don't talk about politics. There's no way you're getting out of that one, man. Well, Nico is also very religious. Uh, he is. He is. He's a very faithful, evangelical, Protestant, Assembly of God, something like that. Yeah. He's also got his own podcast. Oh, he does? Yeah. Does surprise me? Uh -huh. I think the next guest will be uh, Poncho Navarez, who's a state rep out of um, Eagle Pass. Okay. He is no longer running for office, but he was a state rep for a long time. He's a personal injury lawyer as well. Um, Jerry Goldstein, who represented, um, you know, Hunter Thompson and Jerry Goldstein's probably the most. He's good. He could write a book about all the people he represented. He's a lawyer here in town, a criminal lawyer. He's done more for you and I on Fourth Amendment and Bill of Rights issues than you never know. So we've got some good people coming up. It's just getting them scheduled. Wow. Uh, we have a couple of people lined up uh, next week, same time. So thanks for doing this at our time. Uh, I know that you record at different times throughout the week. Uh, so thank you for sticking to our schedule. That was kind uh, of you to do that. Um, but we, on Wednesday nights, next Wednesday, we have uh, Reverend Dorian Williams, who um, is a pastor in San Antonio, also a former uh, Air Force captain and, and pilot. Um, he is going to speak about uh, the Prey SA events that him and Max Licato and Tammy Watts and myself have been planning with a bunch of people throughout San Antonio. That's happening Sunday nights on August 9th and 16th at the Freeman Coliseum. Not in the Coliseum, but it's a park and pray event where people can come and park and pray uh, and just listen to it through their car radio. Uh, there's not, there's oh. not going to be even like something you can really see, like a stage. Uh, Max will lead different people in prayers. You'll hear voices. That you may, we don't even announce what voices are praying, but it's a diverse group of people from different faith backgrounds uh, within Christianity. Um, and so he's going to, that's going to be, we're, we're having that event this Sunday night. And so in between the two events, uh, I'm going to interview Dorian about how that went and what he learned and what are the prayer requests people said in San Antonio. So it'll be a time where people can text in uh, their hurts or their laments or their scares or their fears. And um, so uh, Dorian will talk about that. And then we also have, uh, Doctor and Reverend uh, uh, Keely Petty, who is the chair uh, person for the MLK Commission, uh, which puts on the march and uh, the, the big uh, celebration on the east side of San Antonio on MLK uh, Monday. And uh, so they're just going to have a discussion about race. And I think that's an, uh, one thing that we've been trying to do better at at Pup Theology is has a more diverse racial uh, guest, especially during uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. So... That's next week's pub theology. And uh, sometimes our guests pop up throughout the week. We 
we learn about something that happens and we want to interview it in the next seven days. So sometimes our guests are really, really planned out and some of them pop up like really you, like we, we planned this pretty quickly. Um, and I'm grateful for that. So I don't think we have any more questions unless somebody pops up in the last two seconds. So um, Lindsay just added uh, father Kevin Fowles from Holy Redeemer would be a good guest for pub theology. Where are you seeing this? I mean, I guess mine pop up. So before that, it's two people talking about Szechuan house. Wow. I don't, something's wrong. Something's up with my thing. Do you, do you have any others that you no, see? No. Uh, okay. See, I thought that was weird when you said that popped up last time. I think just something is happening on my end, uh, which is a fun the fun facts of have doing you had uh, Father Kevin Faust from Holy Redeemer. No, but I will. Uh, you you can. I will find that comment on our probably Facebook page. I'm trying to look to see before we end if somebody put a comment on any of our other. Um, oh yeah, you posted this on a lot of things. Yeah, sometimes they, uh, uh, you know, sometimes they ask questions and different things, but sometimes I can see them pop up. Um, uh, I, I, but you know what? Uh, I think you know. In your hour, it's 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 the Alamo hour, not two hours. So I want to respect. I want to respect your podcast and your listeners. You're probably like y'all are talking way too long. I am done with this. Um. So how? So you just had your first child? I did uh, two months ago. Wow. Name? Lincoln. Lincoln Dexter Hill. Why did you name him Lincoln? I mean, who's a better sort of? Uh, illustration of what you want from a human being than Abraham Lincoln. Okay. So it's named after Abraham. I would have figured it was, but I, I didn't know if it was a family name or, nope. or what. Dexter is great grandfather's name. We should have Phil Watkins on. You, you know what you should do? Are, are You said that you were going to do a podcast with Phil, then he did, he got cut from the, the program. I never said that, but I should do one with Phil. I thought you said that early on that you were, you were thinking about doing a podcast with him one time. I need to do that. No, I was going to come to a pub theology. Oh, I see. Oh, with him. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I, I, I got you now. Uh, well, Phil, we should have Phil on, you know, uh, when I was at, um, St. Peter's Episcopal church in Kerrville, uh, I got to know, um, the Mosty family, which, uh, there are lawyers in Kerrville. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, do you know the Mosty law firm? I know who they are. I don't know no. them personally. Yeah, Richard Mosty is the kind of the, the the grandfather of the group now, and uh, he got to uh, be the defense lawyer for four murder cases in the 70s and 80s. That is unheard of. Like huh. when you're a defense attorney, uh, you might get one good one in your career, right? Especially yeah. in Kerrville, Texas, right? And in, in, uh, Kerr County. And he had four ones that were like nationally famous. Wow. Uh, the, the Kerrville Slave Ranch. Um uh, that happened uh, in Kerrville in the 80s where they were picking up people who were homeless and forcing them into labor uh, somewhere around that area. And he defended them. And he's a strong Christian Episcopalian, um, a man of faith. He'd be a great interview for you to talk about like being a defense attorney, defending. Uh, and he has some great, great stories of the most famous case he had of a 18-year-old uh, kid who was drug dealing in, in uh, and uh, I see them popping up now. The comments are now popping up. But uh, he, this 18-year-old kid was in Florida dealing drugs, Justin, and uh, um, to try to gain, to gain uh, like street cred, he read about a murder in Texas and said that he committed it. And he was, in, he was, uh, it was undercover officers that that were doing this drug deal, and they were like, uh, "What?" So they. Followed through. They called Texas. They were like, this murder really happened exactly the way he said it. 
He got arrested, put on trial in Kerrville, Texas, this like young kid. And uh, Richard Mosty defended him. And like people went crazy and really angry at Richard for, they, they had a confession in a way, yeah. right? And he went through the, the truth and found this, all this evidence and fought, the, the sheriffs had to protect his home. Like so many people were upset in Kerrville that like this Christian man would be defending this murderer. And um, uh, it's, you, you really should interview him. He's a, yeah. a lawyers in town. Richard Mosty is like really a famous lawyer in Texas. Uh, and yeah. yeah, I think that'd be a fascinating article. I mean, an uh, interview for you. You so. didn't see the comment that said Phil went, Phil went outside to smoke and drink. So yeah, <laughs> well, we should be, you know, probably uh, I don't smoke, but I'll, I'll, I'll definitely drink with Phil any day of the week. He's a so, cigar smoker. Yeah. yeah. But his cigars probably is what you said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe he puts a little something in it. I'm just kidding. All right. So uh, thank you, Justin, uh, for being on Pup Theology. Um, and having, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I hope this wasn't just rambling. The the ramblings of two San Antonio dorks, you know, <laughs> who just love to talk about dorky things in San Antonio. So, Well, let's see right. you, man. All right, good to see you and uh, take care and uh, check out the alamohour.com uh, uh, yep. anytime you want. Oh, hey, there it is. I saw the suggestion. Thank you, Lindsay, for suggesting Father Kevin. And I will, from Holy, Holy Redeemer, I'll definitely get him on. So awesome. Thanks, Kevin. All right. See you guys. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Alamo Hour. You are all what make this city so great. We hope you join us next week. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash alamohour or our website, alamohour.com. Until next time, Viva San Antonio!